Hello, and welcome to episode number six of Eye-Opening Moments, where you'll hear stories of adversity, encounters, and perspectives. These are real-life stories that can lift your spirits, give you some food for thought, or move you. I'm your host, Emily K. Tan. In this episode, you will hear about the triumph, one phone call, and my first kitchen. A moment of adversity called the triumph. As I walked into the funeral home, there were crowds of relatives in the foyer. Even so, I quickly spotted my dad, and with open arms, I gave him a big hug and a hello. Next, there was mom. I gave her a hug and a hello, too. I also approached my other relatives and said hello. Then I sat down somewhere in the middle section of benches with a best friend on each side of me. My parents, siblings, aunties, uncles, and cousins were in the first two rows. I should be over there. But no one invited me, so I didn't move. Just a couple of days earlier, I was on the phone talking to my younger sister, and she happened to mention that she wasn't going to Grandma's funeral because Mom didn't want her to go, and she didn't care too much about Grandma anyway. I was shocked. I said, What? Grandma died? I couldn't believe my ears. How could this be? How could no one have told me? I got off the phone and called my cousin to verify what I heard. Indeed, my grandma had passed away, and nobody told me. I was horrified, disgusted, and angry at how no one told me. My next thought was that no one invited me to the funeral. But how could I not go to the funeral? This grandma that died was the one who raised me since I was five years old. This grandma took me under her care because my young mother was having a hard time raising kids. This grandma was the one who set me on the path to learning the Chinese language, which became my life passion. This grandma was the one who taught me the values of hard work and determination. How could I not go to her funeral? I called one of my best friends, Selena, and asked her what to do. She said, go. I said, I don't want to go by myself, especially when no one invited me. She said she would go with me. I felt so much better. My friend helped me solve the problem because she would go to Grandma's funeral. Selena and I boarded the airplane in a few days and flew from the West Coast to the East Coast, where I grew up. On the plane, so many thoughts ran through my mind. I thought, could it be that Mom didn't tell me because I wouldn't give her $1,000 a month for her retirement? She knew that Grandma raised me and that I would obey any time Grandma asked anything of me. But 
I didn't do what mom wanted, the $1,000 a month. So is this how she chose to hurt me? Then I thought, even if I had the money to give, why should I give it to her? Did she ever think about all the years grandma raised me and she and dad didn't contribute a dime? What about college? I paid my own way through college. Only after grandma pleaded with mom that she thought I needed money while in college did mom send me $50 for my first birthday there and that was all I ever got. What about when I got married? I paid for the church, reception, and gowns myself. I didn't owe her anything. All my life, I never understood why my parents treated me differently. My three sisters had long hair, yet my hair was cut short. My older sister got a BMW when she was 16. My youngest sister got a condo when she went to college. And everyone got their college education paid for, except me. Grandma said that I looked like my dad's mother, and my mother hated her. So it seemed that no matter what I did, I would never be good enough. I was the first to get a master's degree, but mom said, why don't you get a PhD? I wondered if she ever thought of how I would pay for it. I was the only one who learned Chinese fluently, but in the two years that I lived with mom, she bought me a record player to put in my room to listen to Chinese music. My big sister didn't understand Chinese, so she complained about hearing Chinese music in the living room. I wondered why she didn't care to have my other siblings learn Chinese or not have a negative attitude about it. I was the only one who married someone decent and someone they'd both approve of. Yet, there was no recognition for that. I was the only sister that didn't have any cosmetic surgery, but mom constantly criticized my looks. I wondered why exterior looks mattered so much to mom and why she didn't care to teach the value of inner beauty. Having been a five-year-old chosen to live with grandma, I unknowingly decided that I was unwanted, unloved, and rejected from a family I didn't choose. I found lots of evidence that proved my case. At any rate, the feelings were real, and the feelings were detrimental to the core of my well-being. The negative emotions spread to all other relationships, too. Despite meeting many hardships and challenges in life, on top of the inner world of feeling unwanted and unloved, I chose to see I am possible in the word impossible through time and education. So, me marching into the funeral home with open arms to hug mom and dad was a great triumph. A moment of an encounter called 
one phone call. I waited for over two months and no call or news that I wanted to hear. I called to inquire if there was any good news. An agency told me that I would get a call, but I continued to wait and wait. I had sold my house and many belongings and was ready to move to a foreign land, but I had not yet secured a job. I was in limbo and soon homeless with only three suitcases and a carry-on piece of luggage. I waited some more and wondered why getting a job abroad wasn't easy because many postings or advertisements stated no experience required to teach English as long as you were a native speaker. There appeared to be hundreds of job openings for English teachers. I am a native English speaker with many years of teaching experience and educational background. So why wasn't my phone ringing off the hook or emails flooded with messages for a job? I sent out more resumes. It was baffling to me. I called agencies to inquire for a reason and to no avail. After much persistence on my part, one school finally reluctantly told me why I wasn't getting interviews. I wasn't a fresh college graduate or 20-something. I was Asian-looking. They knew all this from my passport, which I sent to prove my identity and birthplace. They wanted young candidates who did not look Asian. I am Asian and no longer 20-something. So I didn't meet their unwritten criteria. Though I am an English native speaker with lots of experience, I was not what they wanted in an English teacher. I began to feel disgusted because I was more than qualified. The worst part was that I was all packed up and ready to go. I had nowhere to go but to move forward. With or without a job, I had to go somewhere. I had failed in business, lost money, lost my house, and my boyfriend cheated on me. I couldn't find my way back to my career before the business. What was I to do? Where was I to go? If I couldn't even get a job for which I was completely qualified, what use was I? I again called the agency that said someone was interested and said I needed at least two weeks notice to get a discount, air ticket, and have everything in order before leaving the country. Finally, the phone call I was waiting for came. I was overjoyed. The man on the other end of the phone said he had been swamped and didn't have the chance to call me earlier, but was interested in my qualifications. He asked three questions. He wanted to confirm that I had a master's degree. He inquired about my bilingual credential, and I clarified it to him. He wanted to verify if I spoke any Chinese. I said I did. He said, okay, sounds great. I said, what is the next step? He said he'd send me the contract, and when I signed it, I could start work as soon as I arrived. I couldn't believe after five minutes of communication with only three questions, 
I was hired to work abroad. I was ecstatic to be getting a new job and a new place to call home. The possibility of a new beginning was in sight. Hope showed up, and I was on my way to a faraway land. I soon realized why things happened the way they did. It was simply a cultural difference. When I wasn't getting interviews, the employers abroad wanted a particular appearance in candidates, and I didn't fit what they wanted. When someone finally interviewed me, the man was a Canadian, looking at my qualifications rather than my appearance. Only recently did I realize how that five-minute phone interview would set the stage to change the course of my life. It was that short communication that gave me a new opportunity and pulled me out of my nightmare. If I didn't get the job, I would be in dire straits because I was out of time. I had to move out of my house with all my belongings. I had lost everything. And this man, Theo, as if without question, unknowingly saved my life. After that momentous phone call, I was on my way to a better life. Upon arrival in a foreign land where I knew no one, Theo, my interviewer, picked me up from the airport. He helped me carry my luggage up three flights of stairs into my new abode. Two days later, I met the big boss of the company. From then on, it was the beginning of a life I could never have dreamt of in my wildest imagination. I had the most generous and kind boss I ever met. I had a job I enjoyed more than I imagined. I got a social life filled with activities I never had. It was like being on a honeymoon for four years before things settled down. The extraordinary and carefree life I enjoyed was all possible because I could move abroad. And it all started from that one phone call with someone who gave me an opportunity. Never doubt anyone, even a stranger, can cast a lifeline and change your life for the better. A moment of a perspective called My First Kitchen. Dark brown cabinets, tan brown butcher block countertops are what you see in this ugly kitchen. That was my first kitchen, as it was in the first apartment I lived in on my own. It was a small, upside-down, L-shaped kitchen. On the left was a functional, pale, and dull yellow refrigerator. Next to it was a perfect amount of space countertop, suitable for food preparation, but the butcher block color was so ugly that it was hard to enjoy preparing food on it. Above it was cabinets suitable for storing cups and dishes. But before you get to them, you have to look at the ugly dark brown cabinet doors with faded varnished spots on them. Below the counter were more cabinets to store appliances, pots, and pans. It was frightening to bend down to get them 
for fear you might see a mouse run in the back or hear mice squeak in the pipes. To the right of the counter were the stove and sink. It was practical, of course, to cook and clean food. Fortunately, I didn't care much for cooking, so I didn't spend much time in this area. I didn't even feel comfortable by the kitchen sink, as there was a window just above the sink. The window was too tall to put any curtains up, and the room would be dark with curtains hanging. Outside the window was the back of two other apartments with back porch steps. I always worried that people might peep into my apartment, so I didn't feel like I had 100% privacy in my abode. Before you get to my sink, you can see an oval-shaped dining table with cushioned round chairs. It was nice that it was my first dining set and that it was brand new, but I wouldn't say I liked it too. Why? It was the only thing my mom bought for me for my new place, and Grandma had to force her to get me something as I had just graduated from college. So, the dining set reminds me of my mom's stinginess regarding me and my mom's generosity to my other siblings. I wouldn't say it was jealousy, but it was outright unfair and unjust. Good grief. You wouldn't want to be in my kitchen, would you? I rarely asked anyone to come over for dinner, and almost no one would invite themselves over for dinner either. However, once a friend of mine invited herself, her husband, and my boyfriend at the time. My friend loves to cook. She says it's therapeutic. She knows I hate to cook, and I hate my kitchen. So she promised I wouldn't have to lift a finger. She kept her promise and cooked a delicious dinner for the four of us. I suppose that was the best thing that happened in my first kitchen of nine years. Now, about 25 years later, I was conversing with my friend, Selena, the one who loves to cook, and somehow the dinner she cooked in my apartment came up. On that day, Selena and I went shopping after work. I tagged along while she happily looked for what to buy for dinner. Selena enjoyed the shopping while it felt like a chore I didn't care to do. She got the groceries and drove us home to my apartment. As Selena promised, I didn't lift a finger. She told me to sit down on my couch and relax. I was not worried about the dinner as I trusted her with the cooking. However, I was a bit jumpy as I was excited and anxious about this gathering, which was the first and last time it occurred. Never before had she, her husband, my boyfriend, and I got together. It wasn't long before Selena whipped something up for dinner. I can't remember anything we had for dinner. I could only recall that I was ecstatic for this gathering, and I couldn't believe it would happen. That is because my boyfriend at that time would rarely agree to meet any of my friends, even though I had known him for a long time. It did happen where all four of us were in my apartment. Suddenly, my ugly kitchen 
seemed to transform itself with its people. Sitting at the dining table with four chairs that my mom bought quickly felt cozy and warm. In an instance, my kitchen, with its ugly cabinets and counter and dining set, felt festive. It was buzzing with activity. Selena was moving dishes around on the dining table, attempting to fit every dish she cooked for fear there wouldn't be enough for us to eat. The guys were moving about and unsure where to sit or how to help. No one had to do anything because Selena took care of everything. All we had to do was sit down. I wish I had snapped pictures of the momentous occasion. Of course, we sat down to eat. I can't recall anything we talked about at dinner. I can only recollect the warm and cozy feeling of us eating and chatting together. It may look like nothing special from the outside looking in as four people sat down to have a dinner together. But for me, it was significant. Selena is an extraordinary friend that I will always be grateful for having in my life. Keith, my soulmate, will always retain a special place in my heart. And my first kitchen, with all its ugliness, came to give me a beautiful memory. Though no one invited me to my grandma's funeral, and I was an outcast to my family, I went to the funeral, stood up for my love and respect for grandma, and gave mom and dad a hug. Though no one was going to hire me, I persisted, and one person did. That one phone call, that one stranger, changed the course of my life. Though I had an ugly first kitchen, it turned into a warm memory with one of my best friends, her husband, my soulmate, and I having dinner in that kitchen. Next week, you will hear three new real-life stories called Finding Courage, My Comfort, and The Light Bulb Went Off. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a comment, share it on your social media, or go to inspiremereads.com. Thank you for listening.